Hello, everyone, and welcome to Coffee with Cannon. I'm your host, Bill Cannon, a retired 27-year veteran of the NYPD. And today, I have an amazing guest coming on. She's been on before. She's a friend of ours. And she just wrote an article uh, for Newsweek. I'm going to pull And um, it's great to see you. Hi, Bill. Thanks for having me back. Could you hear that opening? When I, that, that I, when no, I, I don't know. Oh, I have no something? idea what you said about me. Maybe okay, let, let me just, that was, my fault. that was my fault. Yael Bator is a media, social media consultant specializing in crisis communications and law enforcement and was formerly director of social media for the NYPD. You can find her on Twitter at Y-A-E-L-B-T. That's at Y-A-E-L-B-T. Yael, so great to have you back on the show. Oh, thanks for having me. It's always always fun to chat with you. Well, let's dig right into this. Uh, your article has to do with, and I'll put it back on this, uh, why is the media erasing the victims of violent crime? Mm -hmm. And this is your opinion. Would you be so kind as to read the first two paragraphs of this article? Sure. Uh, I'll read the first two paragraphs and then kind of tell you, I guess, how it came Came about. Um, so, sorry, just pulling it up here on my end. Um, in December of 2019, an 18-year-old Barnard student named Tessa Majors was stabbed to death in West Harlem by a teen who was attempting to rob her. I'm sure you remember her. The daughter of an English professor, Tessa was said to have been a gifted musician and brilliant poet. She had big dreams of the future and loved her cats and her younger brother. Roughly two years later, on January 9th, 2022, 19-year-old Crystal Baranieves was working the night shift at a Burger King on the exact same street on the other side of town in East Harlem. An unidentified man came in, threatened her with a gun, took $100, and then shot and killed her. Crystal and her family had moved to New York from Puerto Rico, and she had recently told her mother she was afraid to go to work. Unfortunately, this is all I know about her due to lack of media interest in her murder. You know, Yael, that's, that's an amazing thing and uh, how the media with their prejudices and uh, obviously everyone has certain prejudices and certain biases, but how they determine what we see and what we don't see. Mm -hmm. And that's according to their biases. And I mean, a, a great case study on this is the uh, New York Times writer named Barry Weiss, who left the New York Times because she was unhappy with the pigeonhole that they attempted to put. I'm a, I'm a big, uh, big Barry fan. Um, and Barry, actually, she had a great line in that um, resignation letter that I, I really recommend everybody read, that she said something along the lines of um, the New York Times is acting as if Twitter is its, is its uh, ultimate editor. And Twitter and is their ultimate editor, yeah. Yeah. It's and um, I write in my article, you, you know, I, I kind of, I understand a little bit where it comes from. I'm not, you know, we're all, we're all biased in a way. We're all looking at things that are uh, kind of related to us. So I'll give you an example. I'm sure you heard there was a, a woman who was um, shoved in front of a train yesterday, um, which happens, unfortunately, you know, it, it should happen zero times. It happens, you know, much too uh, often in New York every City, once actually. in a while. 
And I, I heard about it. Of course, I was horrified. But I, when I heard it was somebody who was roughly my age, who lives in my neighborhood, who has kind of a similar life than to mine, like she works at a consulting company, she went to business school, I, I immediately became a little more like, you know, involved, or a little more attached. So it's normal to, to kind of zoom in on the things that are remind us of us. Um, but when we talk about media coverage and we're talking about inequality, I mean, that there it is right there. Yeah, you know, and I also understand that the woman that was pushed in front of the train was Asian. Mm-hmm. There, has, there has been a spate of Asian bias crimes in this city, which seem seemingly are ignored by the powers that be. Well, they're not ignored. They're just they're just told the story is told as a hate crime story when it's really um you know, uh, a lack of, of accountability in the criminal justice system and a lack of mental illness treatment story. So they fit whatever, you know, narrative is politically convenient. If it's politically convenient to say these people were radicalized because of politics, then we say it. But at the end of the day, it's mostly the people who are committing these horrific crimes are mostly, you know, EDPs, uh, people with, with mental issues, with drug issues. And, but that's a lot less, you know, that's a lot. Uh, it's a lot easier to say like somebody was radicalized because of Trump or because of whatnot than to deal with the actual terrifying reality of of the people who are out in the streets that should be in treatment. Well, you know, Yael, my uh, whole uh, take on this is that people that are EDPs don't belong living on the street. They do not belong living in the subway system. And yes, if we need to get them services, and that's what. Uh, that's the cure-all. They need services. Okay. Stop saying it. It's like saying cops need more training. Do it. Stop <laughs> saying it. The, the former mayor's wife had a billion dollars uh, to address the mental health conditions in New York City. I don't know where it went. Uh, it was called Thrive New York City. It's worse now than it's ever been. Mm-hmm. And I think that we have to address these things. You cannot allow people to live on trains. That is... a and a violation of the civil rights of people that are paying their fare, people that are going to work every day, people that, look, there's a pandemic. Do you think that maybe a lot of these homeless people are carrying it? They're super carriers? Yeah. You know, and there's I, a I line. So. Yeah, there's a line that I write there, too, as it said, like, we're not the ones who have to take the train at midnight to work, right? If, if I'm taking the train in the middle of the night, it's usually because I'm, I'm out with friends. or if And it's happened to me a lot where... Recently, if it's too late or, or too, you know, I, I, I'll splurge on a cab, but I can, you know, I choose to go out. But if people are working, people working the midnight shift at, at McDonald's or whatnot, or at Burger King, you know, they have no choice. They have to ride these trains at certain hours. And it's, you know, it's not fair to them. And it's also not fair to the people living, the homeless people living on the train like that. What, what, you know. No, well, I don't you know, know why we I, think that's humane to, to let them live on the train and, and instead of, you know, kind of finding some mandatory treatment. It, it, it's not humane. But when you suggest to people that are progressives that homelessness is not a product of lack of homes, it's a product of alcoholism, drug addiction and mental illness, they'll be like, oh, my God. You know, like as if you just said something that is is somehow beyond the pale that how to even suggest that oh no we got to build a million homes it has nothing to do with that i just want to put 
Yeah. Go ahead, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. No, you know I'm Israeli, so I'm 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 gonna I'm constantly interrupting. That's how we we talk. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I have an Italian co-host that does that too. There, so we can just talk. We can just talk over each other the entire show. <laughs> <laughs> no, but what I was gonna say is, it doesn't. You know, you can have both empathy and want better solutions, right? You don't have to choose between you know, it is not the humane thing to do. It is not doing right by these people, letting them be on the streets, letting them, you know, uh, do whatever they want. Um, there's a great uh, a criminologist that I follow on Twitter called Pete Moscow. So you, are you familiar with him? He's from John Jay. He's a professor. Yes. I yeah. Know who he is. yeah. So Pete wrote something great on Twitter the other day. And he said, you know, by taking these people out of the subway system, we're also, you know, we're helping them avoid a situation where they might kill someone, which is a good thing, right? You, you don't want to, you know, it, it's a bad thing if you kill someone. So if we're removing people from the subway and we're, we're helping them avoid a situation where they might have an episode and, and push somebody in the tracks, that's good for them as well. It's not just about the other people around them. 100%. You know, I just want to play a short video clip and to get the audience to understand who Tessa Majors? Um, who Tessa Majors is? Uh, hang on one second. I gotta sh share this and share the screen here. And what what occurred here? Uh, Majors here in New York City, which made headlines across the country. Police revealing what led them to the suspect, who is just 14 years old, now being charged as an adult. Stephanie Ramos has more from the park where it happened. Good morning to you, Stephanie. Eva, good morning. A makeshift memorial is still set up here to remember 18-year-old Tessa Majors, who was targeted and fatally stabbed here. Police say this new arrest in the case won't bring Tessa home to her family, but will hopefully bring them some justice. Two months after the fatal stabbing of New York City Barnard College freshman Tessa Majors. We are confident that we have the person in custody who stabbed her. The NYPD announcing they've arrested 14-year-old Rayshawn Weaver for his role in the grisly crime in Manhattan's Morningside Park. Authorities say DNA evidence, smartphone evidence, witness identification, and the defendant's own statements led them to charge Weaver as an adult under state law on two counts of murder in the second degree. According to the criminal complaint, on December 11th, video surveillance shows Majors entering the park just before 7 that evening. That's when Weaver and two other teens who entered the park from a different location set their sights on Majors, allegedly trying to rob her of her cell phone. There's going to be an 80 female white stag at this time. Police say Majors tried to fight back, even leaving one of her attackers with bite marks. Some of the last words she was known to have said was, help me. I'm being robbed. Her death triggering a massive two-week manhunt. A 13-year-old alleged accomplice in custody since the day after the killing faces a felony murder charge. Weaver, who was wanted for questioning in the weeks after the killing, ran away as he was being taken in. Horrendous, horrendous situation. You know, I mean, we talk about on this show a lot, and I, I know you're too young for this because you were... Uh, probably not even born at this time, but there was a, uh, years ago, there was a gentleman from Utah, his name was Brian Watkins. And he was here with his family to watch the U.S. Open uh, in Queens. And they were taking the train from Times Square. 
and a group of eight savages attacked his mother and he came to her aid and he was stabbed to death. <gasps> that was the incident that galvanized the city and said, enough, we have had enough of crime. Someone from Utah comes here to watch the U.S. Open and a guy stabbed in a robbery of his mother in Times Square. And I, I thought that this Tessa Majors case might have been a Brian Watkins moment. But yeah. apparently it wasn't uh, because things are still happening like that. You know, yeah, I, I don't know uh, if if we're we're going to even have this moment. There's so so many things are, are happening and, and people are getting attacked. And I think we've become numb to it. Um, you know, I, yeah, I think it's more than that. I think it's woke politics. I mean, look, look, they just elected a district attorney who is so out of touch with reality mm-hmm. that it, it defies description. And people when, when people start getting robbed and shot and burglarized in stores, guys are pulling guns and he's going to charge him with a pet at larceny. That's not okay. That's not yeah. okay. And he's a coward too, because he wrote a 10 page directive to his staff. And then when he got called on it, he starts changing up on it. You guess what, dude, you can't change up because it's on paper. It's in stone. It's like yeah. the tablet that Moses put on the mountain. All and right? you know what? I've, I've listened to a few interviews with him because I want to see like, you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm a, skeptical person by nature so i'm like you're a, cl- you're a closet liberal you mean i'm a, I'm a closet <laughs> i'm uh i'm, I'm a out of the uh out of the closet liberal but I'm, I'm a you know but but i'm very obviously very you know law law enforcement oriented right and i'm also not an idiot i would like to think but so i'm like okay let's let's hear this guy out let's hear what is he seeing that i'm not seeing words bill just like it was just like word salad I'm like, he's just saying all these words and none of them are making any sense. So I'm, yeah, I mean, I I think it's terrifying. I think it's terrifying that people don't know even like ask people in Manhattan who the district attorney is. They'll be like, what, who? Like, you know, people also need to go out and vote in these local elections because it's more important than voting for for Trump or Biden or whoever, you know, this is what matters here in New York. You got to vote in your, you know, for your district attorneys. I don't mind saying, I think the electorate in New York City, they're out of their mind because they keep <laughs> they keep electing these same type of people and expecting different results. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And so again, we, how many people in New York City vote? Like, I really I don't that's, know. That's a problem. That's yeah. a huge. I think only 23 percent of eligible voters voted for this guy. Yeah, because all these activists a, are people who are like very involved politically and they're going to be more on the left. You know, Yael, we had Dan Bibb on the other night. And he's a retired uh, 24-year veteran of uh, the Manhattan DA's office. Great oh, prosecutor. Wow. Prosecuted some of the biggest cases. He said a lot of the things that he's he's putting in paper, he's not allowed to do by state statute. Mm-hmm. So he's saying, I'm going to do this. But you can't do it because this law tells you, you can't, it's mandatory to do this and that. Yeah. It's almost like the bail law. People don't understand. They're like, oh, the judge should circumvent. He can't. If a judge says... I'm not bailing this guy because he's a danger to the community. He can put him inside. Two days later, another uh, judge will reverse him and put the guy out on the street because that's how the law is written. You know, you know what else I thought was funny too. And he's like, Oh, it was an internal memo. I'm like, come on, dude. Like how long you've been working in, you know, in this city in politics, you know, that anything you put out, you know, is public. Like there's no such thing as internal memos. He, he was very proud of that until he got called on it. And then he mm-hmm. was like, oh, shit, you know? 
now all of a sudden I, I realize I'm not the, the emperor of Rome, you know, that there, this is a democracy and these cannot be edicts. I want to share also, there was a recent homicide robbery, a felony murder, as you will, at a Burger King on 116th Street. Different part of the world. This girl was also mentioned in your article. I just want to show you the perp walk of the, oh, the, yeah, yeah. Of the perp who did this. And, and again, it has to do with an EDP. Again, an EDP committing a murder. Absolutely scary, right? This is the yeah, and we see these guys every day in New York. You know, I, I live in the city. I ride the subway. You know, we see we, just people kind of learn to avoid them and walk around them, and it's it's scary, especially you know if you if you're riding the subway too. And uh, in addition to that, Yael, they've taken the tools away from the police that could stop a guy like this in his tracks. And you know what I'm referring to? Jumping the turnstile. You think he pays his fare? Oh, yeah, 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 of course. No, yeah. he not, does not pay his fare. Guess how he, guess what he was carrying when he went to Burger King? A yeah. gun. A gun yeah. that he killed the girl with. So jumping the turnstile, search incidental lawful arrest, gun recovered, perp arrested, goes to jail. Mm -hmm. But they take those tools away because we have these woke, progressive politicians that really, I don't know if uh, you paid attention in the... Uh, the race for mayor adams was the least objectionable he wasn't the greatest yeah candidate. He well it's was a the good least sign there. that people voted for him yeah well there were nine communists it was like there were nine and i hate to use that word but they were so far left it was it was disgraceful well people are was, looking at la and san francisco and portland and I, i'm hoping they're saying to themselves like we don't want that here we don't want that here this is new york you know we we don't that that shit doesn't fly here but, you know, we're not far from that. We're not far from, uh, you know, becoming that. And uh, those, uh, well, the detective on the left is, uh, I think his name was Alex Argyro. He is yeah. from Manhattan North Homicide Squad. Really good detective. I don't know the gentleman on the right. He's probably from the 25 Squad. Yeah, who caught this case. Fantastic job. I just want yeah. to uh, take my hat off to those guys. And you know something, folks that are listening, uh, when there's a homicide, these guys don't go home. All right. I was in homicide for 10 years. And I lived, I lived the job for my last 10 years. Mm -hmm. These guys do not go home. They do not see their families. They eat garbage food. They sleep in dorms that are fit for dogs. 
And but that's part of the job. And uh, you know, I, I I know the public doesn't appreciate them. I appreciate them, guys. Yeah. Thank you for your work. Fantastic job putting this this guy. Uh, they don't give up prison. on these victims. You know, once once the media is on to the new topic, or you know, these guys they they don't give up on these victims. They stay in, in touch with the parents. They stay in touch with the families. Um. 100% y'all and you know something that's the part of the job that I don't think that the public sees or cares to see mm -hmm. but you know think of Tessa Major's parents here's an 18 year old girl had a whole life ahead of her going to Barnard you know relatively safe area up there uh, you know and, and, and she goes into Morningside Park and gets stabbed to death I mean yeah. how do you wrap your head around that as a parent you know, I have two sons. I mean, I would be like, oh, my God, you know? Yeah. And and so many others, right? I mean, so many others that are, what was it? There was a kid who was here, I forgot, sometime last year, who was visiting from out of town, too, who got shot in, like, by a stray bullet somewhere in Brooklyn. Yeah, in Brooklyn, yeah. Horrendous. Another horrendous situation. Exactly. Yeah. You know? And then not to mention, you know, I mean, it happens a lot in cities like Chicago, too, where you say so, so many kids. Um. It's just, you know, it's it, it it's not it's not fair. It's just sorry to kind of boil it down to that, but it's not fair to these victims that were not, you know, there are people on the street right now that will commit the next murder. Yeah, there's uh, ticking time bombs. Here's this 19 year old girl working yeah. at Burger King. She came from Puerto Rico. I'm sure her family doesn't have a lot of money. She indicated to her mother that she was afraid. Mm -hmm. Go to work. Oh, by the way, that perp that we saw in that perp walk, he worked at that very same Burger King. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The year before, which is like a, a, a weird coincidence. So he actually worked at that same Burger King. Yeah, he didn't. He didn't know her, but he he worked. Oh, he there. didn't. He didn't know her. But you know something? That's on another part of crime dissertation is that sometimes people. Uh, you, you hear of something called geographical profiling. Yeah. Uh, people do crimes where they're comfortable, you know, or in the neighborhood they live. So that goes with that. And you know something? A lot of these people want to take these tools away from the police. And, you know, this is what you're going to get. You know, this is what you're going to get. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I I take it very personally, as I'm sure you do as well, or, or anybody. Oh, can't, can't you tell? <laughs> <laughs> well, you should, because you spend your entire career, you know, yeah. trying to get justice for these victims. So, and I get when cops, you know, um, I'll, I'll tell your viewers a little secret if they didn't know, but cops are very sensitive, <laughs> and they get they take it personally when when people, especially if you're ho working homicide. It, people say like oh cops don't care and like we like they feel like they're the only ones who do care they're the ones who are going to go out there and trying to uh, you know trying to get like i said get justice for for these victims try to get these people off the street and and a lot of them you know that's why they come on the job too right because they want to help people so you can argue about policies the whole you know as much as you want but the people who are who are kind of you know out there trying to make a difference and then they just get like hammered is by people sitting, you know, kind of behind their keyboards. It's just very frustrating. Well, I think that in the last uh, couple of years, you know, the, I don't know if you've read or seen the book by um, Heather McDonald called The War on Police. Mm -hmm. And I believe there really was a national war on police and maybe even international because yeah. it was like the police were the demons. They were the bad guys and the, 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 the perps. Well, the good guys and the police yeah. are just harassing the perpetrators. Yeah. You know, 
when and I hear people dehumanized too. Yeah, right? and so. when I hear the media, uh, and, and they do this on purpose, and this is, um, I know they do it on purpose because they all do it. They say, stop and frisk. Guess what? It's not called stop and frisk. And whenever I'm on a media show and they say that, I'll say, you're doing that on purpose mm -hmm. because that's weaponized. It's not called stop and frisk. It's called stop, question, and frisk. Mm -hmm. While you stay in stop and frisk, you're eliminating 33% of the procedure. And the procedure is stop, question. A question may elevate the level of the encounter to reasonable suspicion, which is the level of suspicion you need mm -hmm. to search yeah. somebody. And the problem too, is I think people are looking at equity of, of, uh, of outcomes now uh, where they're not looking at equity of, of victims. Right. So. You've got that from Jordan Peterson. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's something, it's something I think about a lot because, you know, the, the whole, the whole notion of equity is, is, is kind of, I, I find it hard to understand because for me, what this country has always been about is, you know, equality of opportunities. Um, but people are saying, okay, we need to, we need to have like, I don't know, car stop uh, suspects need to be all like of a certain, you know, divided by certain geographical areas, of certain races. Um, but what about, what about races of, of victims? You know, there's no equity there at all. So what are we doing about that? Well, that's not really considered. It's like I, when I try to explain pe to people that aren't policing, the 19th precinct on the Upper East Side is pretty much, you know, a, a white neighborhood, wealthy, one of the wealthiest neighborhoods in the world. Very few sh shootings, maybe they'll get one or two shootings a year and almost no murders. Maybe they'll get one murder a year. And if when they get a murder, it's a sensational murder because it's on the Upper East Side. The 3-2 precinct in the center of Harlem is very, very different. Many shootings usually leads or has some of the top amount of murders in that precinct mm -hmm. of all the precincts in Manhattan North. Do we police those precincts the same? No, of course not. Yeah. Of course not. Because the 3-2 precinct is showing by leading in shootings and leading in murders that there's lots of guns there. Yeah. So therefore, we have to use stop, question, and frisk much more often in the three two than we do in the nineteen. And and tell your tell your viewers too if they're not from New York, these are areas that are two subway stops away from one another. So this isn't like, you know, this isn't like all the way on the other side of town where where nobody goes. You know, the, these areas are so close. No, and the, and the people in the 3-2 and the people in the busy precincts in, in Brooklyn and the busy precincts in Queens, they want the police out there. They want the police engaging yeah. the criminal yeah. element. So yeah. the, the theory that a lot of these, the city council and a lot of these woke politicians have that let's demonize the police. Oh my God, stop question. <laughs> oh, let's call it stop and question, just like the media. You know, folks, this is uh, Coffee with Cannon. And uh, my interesting guest here today is Yael Bartor, and that is an Israeli name. I love that name, and I say it very well. You do. Oh. You're very good at it. <laughs> I, I, it reminds me of uh, West Side Story. Maria, I just <laughs> met her, but now it's Yael, I just met a girl. <laughs> anyway, it's a, it's, a pretty, it's a pretty name. Anyway, guys, if you're not subscribed to our YouTube, please go on our YouTube Hit that subscribe button, ring that bell, give us a thumbs up. We also have a Patreon. We have three levels, the bucket, 
I polished my rack and dipped in butter. It's seven, nine, and eleven dollars to support us for the month. And our YouTube channel, you can be a, a member for as little as two ninety nine a month. The bucket, the second one is coffee with cannon, six ninety nine a month, nine ninety nine a month is polished my rack, twenty four ninety nine a month is dipped in butter, and the premier forty nine ninety nine a month, which our only person just recently dropped out, is heated dipped in butter. For $49.99 a month. You're gonna share so, that with me, right? <laughs> yeah, I'll share all of that stuff with you. <laughs> so, guys, if you're not if you're not a subscriber, please subscribe. Yeah, let's get back to the, the the whole the general dissertation of what this was supposed to be, and that is why is the media erasing the victims of violent crime? Let's yeah. get back to that premise. Um, yeah, I mean, there are a lot of different answers, but I think, like I said in my article, I think they don't the media does not see themselves in people like crystal they don't see themselves in people that work at burger king at midnight in in east harlem um you know and unfortunately it's what it's what's driving a lot of the coverage when people and and, and i think there's a part in my article too that the editor um took out for you know not not for i think any political reasons just because in the process of editing but i said if this was in the east village instead of east harlem and if, if this was a fancy coffee shop instead of a Burger King, I, I'm guaranteed it would get a lot more uh, attention, you know, because and again, if, if I'm trying to give these people, the, the journalists, the benefit of the doubt, it's because they, they report on what they know. But it's not fair to just report on what you know. You know, you need to report on on other things as well. And when you see all these all these victims of crime. You, you need to talk about them. You need to demand justice for them. You need to say their names. You need to, um, you know, applaud the police officers when or the detectives when when they get these guys. We can't just focus on the on the sexy stories, right? We can't just focus on the um, uh, what's the Gabby Gabby Petito story? You know, I was going to bring up the Gabby Petito case because yeah. that took a lot of criticism uh, internationally. Yeah, because the story just became like wildfire and spread yeah. not just in this country, all over the world, but we can't control what the public finds sexy. That too. That too. We can't. You so know? that's why I'm saying I'm, I'm, you know, I give people the benefit of the doubt in the sense, but then also don't talk to me about, you know, about equity when you're not willing to recognize the importance of, of these deaths as well. You know, there's no difference between, Tessa Majors and Crystal Baron Nieves. No difference. They were two women in the prime of their lives. Um, they could have found themselves in the exact same job, you know, a few years down the line. There's, it's just, you know, it's it's unimaginable that that one of them is just referred to as someone by the media and the other one isn't. So Yael, are you saying that it's, um, is it racial, racial or is it class? I don't think it's racial. I, I think it's more of a class issue. I think it's more of people reporting on, on what they know and what's familiar to them. You know, I, if I gave the example earlier of the woman who was pushed in front of the subway that I personally looked into it a lot uh, more after I'd heard her background, which reminded me a bit of mine. So I think it's very natural. But I think I, I do think the media has a uh, responsibility to also give people not just what they're they're interested in, but also what's important, right? And especially if you're talking about kind of legacy media or media that sees itself as, uh, you know, kind of fighting for justice. Obviously, the, the Post and the Daily News, they're, they're reporting about this, but it shouldn't be a political decision whether or not to report on, on victims of crime. 
You're 100% right. Duty Ron, thank you so much for the $5 Super Chat. Duty Ron, another great podcast. Oh, thank says, you. Great guest. She's getting the word out about the media and its agenda. And Yael, I have a little more of a suspicious nature to myself than you do. <laughs> well, I, you're a I, retired homicide detective. Well, that, that's that's <laughs> it. And one of the things I think is that it's more egregious than that. I think the media has a um, has an agenda. And I think many things they don't report on because it doesn't fit their agenda. Mm -hmm. And one of the most prejudicial way to report news is through omission. And it's through not reporting it. And I'm going to give you a very big example. I don't know if you recognize this gentleman here. He was the guy in Waukesha, Wisconsin, who drove a red SUV and killed six people during mm -hmm. a, a Christmas parade. If you listen to the news stories on that, he didn't do it. The red SUV did it. Yeah. They didn't yeah. even report on the man. They reported on the SUV. Why? Why did there they do that? There was a great, uh, there was a really funny tweet. I mean, it's a terrible situation, but there was a really funny tweet about it um, when he was in court and he complained that he's being dehumanized by the media. And then somebody commented and said, maybe it's because they keep referring to him as a car. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> How disingenuous is that, that they yeah. would, and I'm, you're talking, we're talking the ABCs, the CBSs, the CNNs, we're talking all of those, you know, all of those great reporters that, that are so full of it, and, and, and they're, they're not reporting that this is the man that did it, mm -hmm. put a human face to who did this, not this red SUV that you see on the top of the screen. Yeah. An, and an SUV is not going to kill six people. I'll, I'll give you an example that, that might seem unrelated, but it's related. Um, so I was at Trader Joe's yesterday. And um, as I walked in, a guy walked out and the, the loss prevention uh, security guy, because of course, all these stores need to have security guys, had him um, dump his backpack. And as I was walking in, I saw this guy and he just dumped like 30, 40 bars of soap out, right, of his backpack. Um, and I kind of, you know, shook my head and, 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 there was a guy walking in with me and we kind of made eye contact and we we're both shaking our head, but for different reasons, because he said, it's just soap. Right. <laughs> and, and look, if I wasn't working in this field, if I wasn't so interested in it, I would have maybe thought the same too. I'd be like, Oh, this guy probably needs soap for his, you know, 40 family members. Um, but if you learn, if you know about this, you learn it's, it's part of a bigger problem. It's part of a problem of people stealing things people incentivized to steal because there's zero repercussions um people reselling items and why is it trader joe's fault or why is it the bodega's fault or whoever's fault um but but the way he this this guy who was walking in with me responded is i think i think the point of view a lot of people have right now where uh, you know they, they're just viewing things from a very different perspective that is a lot more rose-colored and isn't necessarily connected with the truth. Like, I would love for that to be the case. I would love that on the only people who steal are the people who need the soap, who need the milk, who were like, listen, I'm hungry. Trust me, we would all get, get behind that to help them. But, you know, we know from studying this, from, from, from paying attention, that that's not what it is. Well, you know, it's like in a capitalist society, there's, that is not a victimless crime. You know, these stores... They're moving out of inner city neighborhoods because exactly what you're saying has become lax and they're not doing anything about it. You've seen the story internationally, nationally of these smash and grabs. 
I happen to know that a, a group of, uh, of CEOs from these, these companies that own these stores that are getting becoming victims of smashing grabs went to Congress last week. And they said, we've had enough. When are you going to stop this? Because mm-hmm. Congress is not supporting the police. The police could stop this in a day or two. Yeah. But they're not being given the tools and they're being frowned upon. They do not want to stop it. But maybe when these CEOs from these high-end stores, and these are all, you know, these are organized groups. These are not like two or three guys get together. These are sometimes groups of 30 or 40 people. How are they getting there? They're taking cars. Mm-hmm. Cars trackable? Yes, they are. We have something called license plate readers. We can have all of these guys. Are they fencing the stuff? Yes, they are. So it's not rocket science, but the police have to be motivated and be supported to go after this. And right now they're not. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I I'm, I'm I think more and more people are starting to wake up. I think more and more people are, are, are you know, losing patience, um, so to speak, because the people aren't dumb, right? The media sometimes might think that people need to be, you know, uh, shielded from some, some things. But at the end of the day, they're not idiots and people are starting to wake up. Oh, and look who it is. It's our friend Nancy Rommelman. Oh, my God. The best-selling author, Nancy oh, Rommelman. Yeah. Oh, wait, you're, I, I, I could, I could recognize you're even when her head wasn't in the screen. Ah, oh, here I am. Here she oh, yeah. is. I'm, I'm crashing your party. She heard me talking shit about the media. I did. She came, she came to defend. <laughs> I have a little little uh, a little bug in here, and when the word media goes on, I'm <laughs> I now, run in. Nancy, you, got, you guys must media, you guys so must be media. some formidable tag team. I, I, I don't know if I can. <laughs> well, I don't know if I can handle two of you. Well, wait. I want to. We want to take over this thing and also tell your audience that if you want to hear Nancy and I talk or yeah. other people talk yeah, yeah. about um, a lot of similar stuff to what Bill and I are talking about. Um, you should go to uh, our YouTube channel, her YouTube channel, Paloma Media, uh, and you'll see of us talking, but also people who are a lot smarter than me talking yeah, about things. Uh, we we have a website, palomamedia.com, but we also have a YouTube channel, Paloma Media NYC, and we, we do go on there. Um, Yael and I were on there last week. Um, she was here to talk about her Newsweek piece, and while we were sitting in my living room, which is attached to the studio over here, um, the killer of that young girl at Burger King was apprehended. Yeah, we were just watching the the perp walk. Um, yeah, and I go on there with a lot of other guys, guys from the Fifth Column and my Newsweek editor, and it's um it's fun. We we do some jackassy stuff, but we also do some serious stuff. So <laughs> we're not as good looking as Bill and. Uh, well, and I don't know, but I don't know about that. You, you guys, know, what are, are you gonna uh, do? We do our I, best. I part. also have a, you know, I'm not I'm not doing my show anymore with Mark. I'm doing it with uh, uh my partner Phil Grimaldi, who is okay. a. Uh, He's a retired detective. There he well, is. Phil Grimaldi sounds like somebody who knows where to get good pizza. He oh, you know something? We have a we have a show that we're doing for our members called Coppers in the Kitchen. <laughs> and, really? and he knows he knows how to cook because when you get members like Patreon and YouTube, you have to give them some extra content. So what better way? Well, Coppers in the Kitchen, and he's a good cook. So I just it, brought Nancy a cake that I made. She did, and uh, I've actually done some YouTube's for our for our channel where I'm cooking in the kitchen. Actually, I got a I got a new one. I'm going to do turkey dinner meatballs. I just made a recipe. It's delicious. I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna film it, and uh, I won't I won't hog your time here. But um, it's nice to see you, Bill. We still uh, great. no, it's great seeing you. Well, and, uh, ask, ask Nancy what you asked me about. What what do you th- why do you think the media is ignoring these these victims? Yeah, I mean that's the whole dissertation the of, media of we're talking about, coming like, on. Why is the media uh, ignoring certain violent crimes and reporting on others? And the the thing that I put up there was this story, where 
this was the Waukesha, Wisconsin guy who ran over and killed six people at a Christmas parade. And the media was reporting that a red SUV did it. How dishonest is that? It's beyond dishonesty. I, I think we are in a, as you know, we're in a time right now where people feel that uh, the trend is to make amends for the past. And in order to make amends for the past, because, of course, every society has done terrible things. Every society on the face of the earth, every single one has done absolutely terrible things. America not excluded. Uh, I think we live in a better time than we ever have for every single demographic of people. More opportunity, uh, more understanding, more liberties. And yet we are in a in a time right now where there is a real push to undo past transgressions um, by overcompensating or, or deliberately not looking at a situation because then we feel that uh, we're being unfair historically or we're going to be accused of racism. People are so, so, so terrified of being able, of being called a racist that they are willing to not look at what's going on in front of them, not all the time, but but sometimes. I think this is doesn't really help us to see clearly. Um, and I think you have a lot of people in the media that um that feel that way, or they're they're running as scared as a lot of average people. So I think that's what's going on. Well, Nancy, I think we have to live by the um saying that those that are ignorant of the past are uh doomed to repeat it. And we know what New York City looked like in the 80s and the 90s with 2,200 murders robberies off the hook. I remember the 19th precinct on the Upper East Side. Sometimes in the 80s and 90s, they would actually get 300 robberies in that precinct in a month. 300. <laughs> Could you imagine that? And you know what it was? It was Manhattan makes it, Brooklyn takes it. People were taking a train from Brooklyn to rob people in Manhattan. They were targeting rich people. Is that what they want? Do they want that New York City back? Because it's going that way. I have, a quick, I have a quick question, something I've been, uh, you know, I reported from Portland for a long time. The homeless situation is crazy. They're open drugs, fentanyl. I've been paying attention to it a little more in New York City. And I read something about Bryant Park and how it's really degrading. You know, it was horrible in the 70s and 80s. You remember that. I was alive at that time. And then it turned into this incredible, it looked like a- Oh, I thought you were much younger than that. You're an older woman. I'm very old. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm 85. I just look super good for my age. But uh, anyway, you know, now it, it, it was beautiful. Bryant Park's incredible. We all went there and, you know, right behind the library and concerts and brought the kids. And now it's devolving again into sort of a an open air drug scene. Is yeah, that something like Washington Square Park? Is that something that's on people's the NYPD's radar? I mean, uh, I, th I think that the city has to make a comeback from the eight years of the Blasio. He was a disaster. Yeah. He was a total disaster. And I'm not convinced that we're going to because uh, Yael and I were just discussing it. This new district attorney, Alvin Bragg, he's already yep. a disaster. Yeah, uh, the city council is a disaster. I don't know if Eric Adams is serious. I, yeah. I, I'm, I'm rooting for Eric Adams. I yep. want him to do what he says he's going to do and turn the city around. But his past, you know, he was an activist. He wasn't a real gung ho cop. He, and that's, you know, Maki Haberfeld from John Jay always says, "You want to see someone what they're going to do in the future? Look at their past." You that's know, right. I don't want to quote her directly, but that's the gist of it. So he was no gunfighter uh, as a cop. So now he's saying a lot of the right things. Let's see what he does. You know? Let's see what he does. Look, um, they're just, they're bringing back anti-crime, but then they're calling it something different. 
they're calling it neighborhood safety teams or something like that. <laughs> but is it going to be know? the same thing? Well, who knows? Who knows? First of all, what when you are an anti-crime, you take big risks. Mm-hmm. And that's part of being a good anti-crime officer. You have to use... And it's all proactive. Risk. Yes, it's all proactive. If these people don't back the guys in these neighborhood safety teams, who, who's going to want to be in anti-crime or neighborhood safety, whatever you want to call it? Yeah. Uh, we should do an episode and let Bill know so he can let his gazillion followers know that yeah. that will be on YouTube. You can have us out, Bill. Yeah. Okay, well, I'll let you guys get back to it, Bill. We still owe each other a drink. Absolutely. I'll I didn't have a forget. Drink you guys. Bill's I know. too it's scared like, to come into Manhattan. COVID, yeah, COVID has scared us all of going back into yeah. Manhattan. Well, you know? I travel. All right. See you later. All right, Nancy. Bye. Great to see you. <laughs> you know, Yael, we actually only have a – I usually try to finish these Coffee with Cannons at about 45 minutes, but we got okay. – uh, we got so uh, enamored in our conversations. We cover a lot of different stuff, you know. And sometimes, yeah. sometimes I call this show "Bitching with Bill" because instead of with coffee, Bill, with, yeah. coffee with Ken, I, I start bitching, you know. And uh, <laughs> that's just my nature. But uh, guys, all you guys in the chat, thank you so much for thank stopping you. by today. Uh, yeah, Yael Bartor, her article is in Newsweek. If you haven't read it, I think I listed the, the site in the chat. Uh, that's the article, Why is the Media Erasing the Victims of Violent Crime and Its Opinion uh, by Yael Bartour. She also has her own podcast, a podcast with Nancy Rommel. These guys are going to do big things. They, they, we should call them the Jewish chicks, right? <laughs> well, Nancy's not Jewish, but she uh, is mistaken for a Jew a lot. So we'll the, well, Oh, Rommelman is her husband's name? Uh, no, Rommelman is German, I think. Oh, it's German. Wow, you can always uh, <laughs> you can mistake that, right? Amazing. But yeah, you should tune in to Paloma Media um, on YouTube. And I have a podcast, unrelated, called Ask a Jew, uh, which everybody <laughs> is welcome to listen to. It's with a Hasidic friend of mine. So she's Orthodox with a whole like wig and the million kids, just like you see in Brooklyn. And she's hilarious. So if you want to learn more about that world. Um, that, that sounds like it could be a lot of fun. Yael, you have to promise to come back on. Anytime. I, I, I love to hear your opinions. You're smart. Uh, you, have Thank a, you. you have not a 360 degree or 180 different opinion. Than me, but it's a little <laughs> it's a little different. Maybe I'm a little bit too far right. I don't know. But that's just, uh, <laughs> it just happens to be where I came from, you know. But so any, guys, anytime. Guys, thank you so much for uh, for listening. And this has been uh, Coffee with Cannon. My guest has been Yael Bartour. Have a great day and be safe, everyone. Peace. One episode, just saying enough.